Cord in five, four, three, two. Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of Dan and Benny in the Ring. I'm Dan Spasciano, joined as always by the BS Express himself, Benny Scala. Benny, how you doing, buddy? Dan, you remember the movie Sleepless in Seattle? Well, yeah. I am freezing in Florida. <laughs> Free? Well, by freezing in Florida, you mean what? It's like sixty-five out. What do you no, mean? it's it's fifty-one. Come on. Oh, 51. But we're, it, was we're 40 about... th- it was 40 this morning. I thought I saw some snowflakes, but it could have been the mushrooms I had on the pizza the night before. But... <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. You know, we always love Benny. We've had a, a handful of them on the past. We, we bring on authors and writers and guys who have the background and the scoop and the story. And we've got one today, and we're going to have a lot of fun talking, get a lot of good background, a lot of good stories. Why don't you tell everybody who we got on the line with us? Well, what I'm all I'm going to say right now is this gentleman is a writer extraordinaire. And I'm kind of dating myself here, Dan. This might be before your time, but uh, there was uh, something called uh, Venus Paradise, Color by Numbers. So you've got like this this beautiful painting and it was left blank, and you 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 know it had like a number like fifteen, and then you had a pencil with a you know colored pencil with the number fifteen, and that was the only way that a guy like me could do any kind of artwork because quite honestly my artwork is so bad, I even a hangman would want to hang themselves after I you know, drew a hangman. But uh, so hopefully what we're gonna do is I'm gonna just say this gentleman's a writer extraordinaire, and at the end of the hour hopefully that whole pick color by number picture is completely colored in within the line. So I want to introduce Mr. Bobby Matthews. Bobby, welcome to Dan and Benny in the Ring. Hey, thank you so much. I appreciate you guys having me on. Well, that's a uh, a true first there, Bobby. I've never had Benny describe a guest through a uh, paint-by-number, but we'll figure it out, and we'll get started. <laughs> um, you know, All right. Speaking of, of art, every painting's different, every story's different. Everybody we've had on, we ask them the same question. Uh, Benny always loves to use the analogy. It's like snowflakes, you know, no two are the same. So we're going to ask you and, and we're going to get your different answer on this. But when, what is the moment that the bug got you? When did you watch, see, hear about wrestling where you knew I'm hooked and this is something I love? Oh, man, it was when I was very young, maybe four or five years old, watching Southeastern Championship Wrestling out of Dothan, Alabama. Um with my dad every Saturday afternoon, 5.30 p.m., um, you got to see guys like Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, uh, Bob and Brad Armstrong, Ron and Robert Fuller, Jimmy Golden, Austin Idol, uh, Macho Man Randy Savage would come through, Bill Dundee, uh, you know, Eddie Gilbert was there, Tom Pritchard. You had this incredible building ground of talent and then you had also guys who were just lifers who wanted to live uh the the promotion was based out of pensacola florida right so guys wanted to live out on the beach i got to see hulk hogan in his first ever match against uh andre the giant in the houston county farm center dothan alabama stuff like that so that's really what got me uh the first wrestler that i can remember and if anybody remembers this guy i will be incredibly impressed was a uh, English wrestler named uh, Johnny Eagles, all right? And uh, you can find some information about him online, but his gimmick was he's, he was the Houdini of wrestling. He could get out of any hold. And as a, especially as a small child, that really caught my interest. So that's where I started from. Bobby, when did you go to your first show and where was it? Uh, I went to my first show when I was, I believe, six years old. It was at the Houston County Farm Center, which is an old, huge building, seats about 5,000 people. At the time, it had a red clay floor. Um, I can tell you exactly what the main event was. The main event was an old guy named Ken Lucas, who's a, who was a territory, oh, yeah. a Southern Territory mainstay, right, against Harley Race for the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship. They went 
55 minutes before uh, race one with a rolled up and a handful of tights. And it was insane. It was tremendous. You know, when you said that, like, it just reminded me, like, that kind of thing was commonplace, a 55-minute match. And I guarantee mm-hmm. you not one person in, in that arena ever uttered the word boring. Oh, no, not at all. Uh, you never uttered, You never heard anybody talk about boring at all uh, in those days because here's the thing. Neither one of those guys is going to, you know, be throwing drop kicks or standing head scissors or stuff like that, right? But the drama that they built in is this five foot nine, you know, 210 beer gut guy who, who, you know, is a local mainstay. Is he finally going to get over the hump and beat the world champion right here? Holy cow in Dothan, Alabama. Are you kidding me? Um, and every moment that he came closer and closer and closer to winning people, you know, you know, the old saying that you you can buy the whole seat, but you're only going to need the edge, right? People would be leaning forward and leaning forward. And then when the champion would eke it out, it's, it's amazing. You know, the, the deflation from the crowd or bringing it back. If there was a way that the baby face could win, you know, I mean, it's a beautiful part of the lost art of professional wrestling. I, I just my opinion. I think of all the champions in the past, though, Harley was the best at getting people to think that he was going to be beat. I was uh, doing some research for an article that I'm writing for Pro Wrestling Stories, and uh, he actually wrestled uh, George Goulas to a, a 60 <laughs> minute draw, which to me would had like that had a, a, require a lot of skill on Harley's part to make you know to carry George Goulas for 60 minutes. George George Goulas was built like Ron Fuller without any of the talent. Right. Um, he was you know, what six foot six and uh, a beanpole of a guy. Right. Um, that is the that's the that's the Daddy said sell story. Right. <laughs> Daddy, Daddy said sell. <laughs> I think he was a combination of uh, uh, Lurch from the Adams family and Bobby uh, Boucher, the Water Boy. Look, George Goulas could not wrestle i mean he 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 couldn't wrestle and he couldn't work so (laughs) the the terrible thing is like a a guy at that at that stage of his career being in there with with harley race um i would have uh i would have had to leave the ring because i would probably filled my pants i would you know i would have just fit myself uh and I'm sure that he was probably on the verge of it because Harley was a legit tough guy, a a tremendous, tremendous wrestler, but also just a legitimate tough guy that you did not mess with. Um, I'm not sure that this story would will make your broadcast because it is a really wild story that Charlie Platt, who used to be the uh, announcer for Southeastern, told. And so I think it's apocryphal. I don't think it's I don't think it's 100% true, but the story is that Harley was going down the highway as fast as he could in his, in his car, had a cigarette in one hand and was drinking a beer with the other. So and was 100% having, true. <laughs> uh huh. And was having sex with a midget at the same so, time. Still dead on. <laughs> so, all right. So he gets pulled over and the cop comes up to the window and he looks in and he goes, what do you think you're doing? Harley goes, I'm fucking a midget. Get out of my way and drives off. And so that, that's the story I got. I don't know that that's true, but it's great. It's very believable with Harley Race. Absolutely. So, I mean, that's the kind of stuff like that I got hooked on as a kid, though, is, I mean, you know, Wild and outlandish, yes, but presenting, you know, the wrestling stuff as legitimate sports drama, you know, where you want a guy to win, you want to, you want your, the guy that you're behind to win the championship, to win, you know, either the world title, the Southeastern title, whatever uh, that looked like, because what you, what the value in the regional title, and I know that I'm preaching to the choir here, um, but the value of the regional title was that the world champion would come through. And if you held the regional championship, 
you got to uh, face the the world champ. What what was the title there, Bob? Because we were talking last week. We had a what was called territory talk, and we were talking mm-hmm. about championship wrestling from Florida. And Florida mm-hmm. had their own version of the Southern Heavyweight title, same as mm-hmm. as Memphis had one. But you know the significance of that title was that when you know Ric Flair or Race or whoever it was when they were touring through the territory, that was the guy that they fought. So what was what was the equivalent in Southeast? So Southeastern was the Southeastern Heavyweight Championship. Um, it's it's really interesting. Um, in Florida, there wasn't just the Southern Heavyweight Championship. While Bill Watts was the booker there, there was the North American Championship, just like there was when he went to Tri-States. And it became right, mid So, um, but the, that Southern title is what replaced the North American Championship there. Um, so Southeastern had the Southeastern Heavyweight Championship, and it also had the Alabama Championship and... If they would, if they were venturing over into Louisiana, they also had a Louisiana title and a Mississippi title that they would break out for, you know, for house show trips. Essentially, no, but none of the, neither one of those titles ever got mentioned on TV. Kind of, kind of like the old uh, clash of the champions, where you'd have, or, you know, you'd have multiple championships that would exist just for the show. Exactly, and. I mean, I think that's like an old Southern style thing, you know, um, what's his name? Nick Goulas, who, you know, we were just, you know, talking, talking crap about George. Um, but Nick had title belts in his, in his desk drawer, man, that he would bust out for big cards. Never, never exist before that card, never exist afterward. But Hey, here's this, here's this title belt that we're going to say is, you know, the New Jersey heavyweight championship. And these guys are coming through and they're, you know, showing up for the big card. It's funny how, like, you know, back then, I mean, there was a lot of belts, and now there's a lot of belts, and we always, come, you know, the, the fans now complain that there's too many titles, but back then, nobody complained that there were too many titles because they all meant something. That's absolutely right. Uh, they they meant something. Like, it's, here, here's the thing. We all know now, because the genie is out of, out of the bottle, that it's a prop, right? But... Back in the day, if you had said something that it's a prop to one of the wrestlers, uh, you know, you would have gotten your head smacked in. Absolutely. You know, because they took it seriously. It's it's one of the things that uh, – and here's where I sound like an old man yelling at a cloud. Um, <laughs> I don't mind – I actually do not mind knowing, uh, you know, that everything is predetermined. That does not bother me at all. But it's just like a movie is predetermined. I don't want the actor winking at me. I don't want the actor going, hey, you know, breaking breaking the fourth wall and going, hey, you know, we're all just friends behind the scene, right? You know, behind the scenes, we're we're all okay. Everything's all right. I don't I don't need to know that. I want to be entertained. Right. I want to have something, you know, compel me to pay attention. So that's that's my old man rant. I'm sorry. No, you're you're fine. We've we've talked a couple times on the show about stuff like that. I know I uh despite Benny and I both being fans of <clears throat> in the, for the most part of AEW's product, that's something mm-hmm. they're notoriously bad for is, you know, they'll have like in the middle of a pay-per-view, they'll tweet a backstage image of Jericho and MJF having coffee and watching the uh watching the monitor together. 20 minutes after they just had their bloody we hate each other feud match and it's like okay you know little little, little you pull the curtain back too far and it kills kills the story right it, it really does like hey show me that two weeks later right. you know show show me that after after the stitches have been taken out you know what i mean yeah well then let me let me ask you something in that vein then what is your opinion on like comedy i mean i understand i'm not i don't mean promos or moments that can be funny but i mean genuine gimmick comedy wrestlers a a santino morella orange cassidy somebody like that where their entire gimmick exists because hey we, we're here to remind you that that we're having fun and wrestling is fake so i, I mean i'm of two minds about it number one the my first initial thing is uh Look, 
if you're presenting something that is supposed to be a serious athletic endeavor, then you should stick with that. However, if you look in the annals of wrestling, um, there have been, I mean, in the AWA, which was, you know, serious wrestling, you had Super Brucey, all right, who was, uh, if I have my facts right here, uh, Super Brucey was uh, Sergeant Slaughter before he was Sergeant Slaughter, all right? And he was this guy who would take his his hand and, uh, like, his gimmick was putting his thumb inside his fist to make his fist stronger to hit people, right? You had Mighty Igor or, or Igor, however we're pronouncing that this week. Um, you had people who were always funny always doing something goofy uh and you know i like jim Cornette. i i'm a fan of of his way of thinking about the wrestling business but Cornette was hilarious you had uh you know oliver humperdinck who was also just off the wall funny lou albano but they also kind of kept things uh confined to to that, you know, their role like that. Okay, that's entertainment, and that's clearly an entertaining thing that somebody's just putting on, as opposed to there's the world heavyweight champion. There is, you know, there's Dory Funk Jr. There's Terry Funk. There's, I mean, because look, Terry Funk, serious wrestler, tough guy who would kick your ass in a heartbeat. Was he funny? Absolutely funny. So. Um, I mean, I think there's there's space for both, but I don't think like you can't you can't marry the two. You can't give me a, a guy who's just doing comedy and then with no transition whatsoever, make him a, a credible, you know, main event level guy where everybody else is trying to do their serious shit. Right. Uh, Bobby, so <clears throat> you gave us the story about how the wrestling bug bit you. How how did the writing bug bite you? When did you decide that this was something that you wanted to pursue? Um, you know, really, it's about the same time frame. I mean, I can remember being a six or seven year old kid and trying to create my own books and create my own newspaper and that kind of thing. Um, I always loved telling stories. And I think that you look at entertainment, you look at pro wrestling even – I mean, it's it's about stories, and by stories, I mean it's not just what happens, but it is how you invest in these gimmicks or in these characters now, I guess what you would say. Um, you know, people uh, – and I got to interview Bob Armstrong, uh, the, I guess, three years before he died, I think, um, and Bob was telling me, you know, the reason he worked so well um, for the Georgia and the Florida and the Alabama and Mississippi – audiences was Bob talked like they did. Bob was a country boy and he turned it up and people cared about him. You know, this is a guy who, um, when he turned heel for the one and only time in his life, uh, he had people threatening to kill him, literally threatening to kill him. And if you have never heard about this, Bob Armstrong uh, was the Newly crowned Southeastern champion, thought he was going to get a shot at Ric Flair. However, Ron Fuller had been the champion, and he was the guy who had signed the contract, so he was getting the shot at Flair. Bob Armstrong was going to be the special referee in this match. This is in Mobile, Alabama. And as Ron Fuller has Ric Flair beaten, Bob Armstrong leaps up as high as he can and drops a knee drop right in the middle of Ron Fuller's chest storyline you know injures his knee puts him out of wrestling for a while and bob went on a a run of 10 months or so where on georgia championship wrestling he slaps his son brad in the face for not being tough enough uh puts a cigarette out in uh, in somebody's face on southeastern tv i mean and just you know generally being a shit heel and it was so much a violation of what everybody believed him to be the nice country uh good stand up human being bob armstrong that they had known 
at that point for 20 years, right? And holy shit, people wanted to kill him. That is not an exaggeration. They were ready for blood most nights for Bob for that 10-month run. That's funny because, you know, we've had Jimmy Valiant on the show a couple of times. And Jimmy said when he was a heel back in the day and, you know, in the old WWF, um, he never had a car that was not vandalized. Mm-hmm. And he, mm-hmm. you know, he had a young family, he had three girls, and he couldn't even take his family out to dinner. He couldn't go to church because people were so emotionally invested in what was going on with wrestling that, mm-hmm. you know, they took it serious. They saw him like, you know, that's, that's the guy that turned on Chief J. Strongbow. Right. I mean, think about Fred Blassie having to go uh, when he was in Georgia. He had to go and rescue his wife um, from the crowd uh, because, you know, his wife was Japanese. She didn't really speak a ton of English, and she did not realize the trouble she was in. But someone had seen them together and put two and two together that, oh, Freddie Blassie, that evil Freddie Blassie is married to this foreigner. We're going to get her since we can't get to him. And Freddie Blassie had to go into the crowd to save his wife. It's amazing how much different it is now than then. Oh, absolutely. You know, in, and in, in many ways, it's safer for the performers now, right? It's absolutely safer for the performers because it's a suit you can take off at the end of the day. Right. So it's You can stop. But, I mean, uh, what's his name? Cody Rhodes talks about, uh, you know, Dusty limping around the house on crutches when his leg was supposed to be broken and doing that in front of his kids. So his kids would would buy it. Well, I think even uh, Andy Kaufman, when when uh, when Jerry Lawler pile drove him, and the story right. is, you know, he's laying in the ring, and he he said, "I want an ambulance," and they didn't want to give him an ambulance. He said, "I'll pay for it," you know. Mm-hmm. And so they said, "Well, if you're paying for it, we'll get you an ambulance." But I think uh, Andy Kaufman wore that neck brace everywhere for months. Oh, he did absolutely, and it was great. I mean. Kaufman understood the wrestling business really, he, he really did. well. He really uh, did. Completely committed to it. I mean, you know, if you are a method actor, uh, wrestling is probably, you know, would be a good place for you in, in the 70s and 80s, especially. So, but the, the, the writing thing, I mean, listen, I went to, I went to college for journalism. Um, I've written some, uh, written written some short stories some fictional stuff i've written some you know a few things for pro wrestling stories i've I've won a few awards uh and all i can tell you is that it called to me in in the same way that wrestling did you know that's kind of how i got the the uh i'm circling back to actually answer the question now you know um it is essentially a thing that called to me i think that we all have that kind of thing in our lives uh, to some extent so when you knew that you wanted to write, though, did you know that you wanted to write about wrestling? Not necessarily. Uh, they were never kind of on the same track for me. Um, I was pursuing a uh, journalism degree in college, but I also was uh, on a very low level uh, wrestling on independence and managing on independence and refereeing and doing whatever they would let me do. Um so that was always kind of fun. I got to meet a ton of people. I got uh, Steve Armstrong, uh, Bob Armstrong's youngest son, uh, who's just, he's a horse. I mean, he, that, that guy is, uh, if he wants to move you somewhere, you're going to go, right? So uh, we're in uh, Prattville, I, I believe it was Prattville, Alabama, one night. And uh, we're doing a battle royal at the close of the show. And Steve grabs me and he goes, you ready to go? And I went, not really. And, you know, and then two steps, I'm flying over the top rope, whether I wanted to go or not, I was going. So it was just, I didn't realize I was so young at the time. I didn't realize it was, you know, just kind of a courtesy ask <laughs> at that point. But, uh, you know, it never, it never kind of folded into the writing part. Um, until I sat down and started to uh, to think seriously about writing something fictional um, about the 
the wrestling industry because I it's so hard in many ways to write honestly about wrestling the way that it was and the way that it is because people think it's made up anyway. They think there's no way that could have happened. Like, uh, you know, like, like the, uh, Dr. Dr. Jerry, uh, <clears throat> Dr. Jerry Brown, right. You know, the story. I'm sorry. I, I did not say I have, I'm sorry. Uh, Dr. Jerry, uh, Dr. Jerry Graham. Dr. Jerry Graham, thank you. Yes. I just had a moment there where I blanked completely. You know, the, Dr. Jerry Graham goes into uh, find that his mother has died and takes her body out of the hospital and has to be subdued, like leads police on a chase, right? I'm reading this, and this made uh, national newspapers. Like, this is documented. This really happened. And people will not believe that Dr. Dr. Jerry Graham, uh, <clears throat> who was just insane, um, had gone even further around the bend because he discovered that his mom had given all of his money away. The money she was supposed to be socking away for him, she had given to, I believe, a televangelist. I may have that detail wrong, but I think oh, that's boy. right. So, and she had died and he had no way to get that money back. I mean, you know, like. I wonder if it was uh, to to uh, Billy Graham, his cafe brother. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's <clears throat> Billy Graham too. I mean, what a great story! Have you ever read his book? No, have not. Okay, you, you need to get you need to get his his book, not necessarily for him, but for the stories about uh, the other Grahams. All right, so. Uh, the Graham brothers are, the, you know, there's Crazy Luke, and there's uh, the Good Doctor, uh, and there's some. There's another one who the original. And there's Eddie, Eddie from Florida, or you know, not yeah, from Eddie, Eddie Graham, right? So, um, you're rescuing me in this, and I appreciate that. Sorry, I am under the weather, folks. Uh, plus, I'm old. Sometimes I forget things. Um, anyway, so. These guys are causing riots in the Northeast. They are, uh, you know, Crazy Luke Graham is possibly the the most uh, level-headed one of the three, right? And and he's the guy that get yeah that gets stuck with the crazy moniker, as opposed to Eddie, who was wild and had maybe a fifth grade education at at, at best. Um, but he understood psycho the psychology of people. You know, he understood how that worked as far as keeping people's uh, interest and emotions boiling while he was in the ring or while he was doing an interview. You know, it's funny, Bobby, because you know I've I've written not as many as you were modest. You said a couple of stories. For pro wrestling stories, I counted. You have fifty nine <laughs> to, wow. to my sixteen. So you know, it's kind of like I kid Javier always. Like he's the uh, Harlem Glo Globetrotters, and I'm the uh, the Washington Generals. You know, the scores usually <laughs> like a hundred to four at halftime. But you know, the thing about these, you know, and, and sometimes I, I'll get pushback occasionally from a friend, like, "Well, how could you write about something like that?" And the thing is, you know, I, I'll tell them you don't understand. You're not. I'm not really writing about what happens in the ring because you know, obviously, that's it's even though it's 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 rough, it's predetermined. But mm -hmm. these guys are larger than life characters, and a lot of their stories outside the ring are absolutely amazing. And that's that's what it entices me to to write about it and to, and to read about it. Mm hmm. Absolutely. I mean, what they did behind the scenes. I love uh, sitting down with Rip Rogers or with. Uh, you know, guys from that era who Rip had such a long career, right? And he was there with uh, the Pothos and, at ICW and went all over the place. Um, I mean, listen to that guy talk about stuff going on behind the scenes. It's amazing. You know, um, I know it's kind of a cliche question, but Benny hit it on the head there. You got 
uh, near you know, 59 stories, uh, your background, everything from the Atlanta Journal, uh, Birmingham, Denver Post. You've covered sports. Uh, you mentioned earlier, you know, what is just a few moments ago, you, you talked about you know winning awards and, and you've done you've covered so much in sports and entertainment. I'm curious, do you have a particular story that sticks out as the fit your, your favorite to research or your, your moment where you said, yeah, that's, that's my, the best thing I've ever done or the, my favorite thing I've ever done. Sure. Um, there is a story on uh, pro wrestling stories called, uh, uh, essentially it's a, it's a ghost story, right? It is about the Pensacola territory about Southeastern and how Southeastern, despite the fact that, you know, nobody ever, really knew what that territory was like because Ron Fuller did not want, um, but, and he's the guy who owned the territory. He did not want the, uh, the after mags to cover the territory at all. He instead basically kept everything in house and insular. And it's often known as the lost promotion. Well, the thing about that is it is the lost promotion in a lot of ways. However, when you look at, especially at that time, you had uh, Scott Armstrong, you had Michael Hayes, you had Arn Anderson, you had Paul Orndorff, you had all of these guys, uh, you know, uh, the road dog even, right? Um, You had all of these guys behind the scenes who were doing things, either training people like Rick Rogers, for goodness sakes, um, Adrian Street, guys like that, who, uh, you know, ran a training school for a long time. And when uh, the WWE wanted Rico to learn how to be like Adrian Street, sent him down to Gulf Breeze, right? You remember this back in the day, doing the, the outlandish gimmick. Well, doing that story and kind of paying homage to uh, the wrestling that I grew up with and doing it in about six or 7,000 words. And J.P. Zarka, the site uh, owner and editor, just kind of giving me carte blanche to do what I wanted to do with it. Uh, That's probably still going to be my favorite story that I've ever done because I I nailed the whole thing down. You know, Um, from a journalistic standpoint, got everything the way that it should be. So um, that's the one that I'm most proud of. Do you, do you approach, obviously, you, you, I'm sure you do, but, you know, writing about a, a, another sport as opposed to wrestling, obviously a completely diff, different discipline. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. Um, usually uh, coaches and, and athletes are a lot more prone to talk to you. There is still a, a little bit of a, you know, yeah, we want publicity, but we don't necessarily want you to, to know as much inside stuff as you seem to know um kind of from wrestlers so more factual maybe in the other sports yeah absolutely absolutely more you know and and there's also people care still i think even though wwe has tried to keep them from it i think people still care who wins and loses um whereas in you know just straight up sports that's what it comes down to is the win and the loss and the struggle, right? And that's all factual and that's all out there for everyone to see when it's when when it's legitimate sport. When it's wrestling, it appears that way, but you know, we're all super interested in what goes on behind the scenes too to make it that X person won and the other person did not. Right. So, that's so kind of, kind of, uh, no, I got you, uh, Bobby. So we we just mentioned something about the, you know the current the current state of affairs, the current WWE product. Uh, do you do you watch it all? And if so, what's your opinion of it compared to what you grew up watching? So I watch occasionally a little bit. I dip I dip my my toe in the water. Um, I think athletically, it clearly blows anything uh, that was not Dynamite Kid and Tiger Mask or Ric Flair versus uh, Ricky Steamboat out of the water. 
I mean, there are guys who were wrestlers and who drew money all over the place who would never get a look from WWE or even AEW or anyone like that um, these days, right? Uh, so athletically, they're tons and tons and tons better. And yet, I find them less compelling because they are so athletic that they have to block it out. They have to choreograph it. You you do this, and then I'll do this, and then we'll, you know, and then do do and change places, and handy-dandy. Um, so for me, the sport is at its peak when it's presented as a legitimate athletic endeavor. And I think that there are ways that you can still get there to that. Um, you know, one of the things that really pulled me into AEW, I thought was, uh, Cody Rhodes versus, uh, versus brother Dustin, right? Which was a tremendous match and it's built on the, you know, the brothers trying to get respect from one another. And you bought that because if you have a brother, you know, it may not be the it may not be the best relationship in the world. It may be Rocky. One of you is always the younger brother. One of you always feels like the other one gets the best or the worst end of things. Um, so that right there, that's built on emotion and presented as an actual, you know, an actual fight or an actual athletic endeavor where there needs to be a winner or a loser and winning and losing there is not necessarily important in the grand scheme of things, but it felt important to those two people in the ring. And they showed that, you know? So I, I, I wish that I could see today's athleticism combined with uh, the ability to take the work seriously. I think that's what, you know, you mentioned the the battle the Rhodes brothers had, uh, the <clears throat> sixty minute time limit draw from a couple weeks ago, Daniel Bryan and Hangman Page, mm-hmm. where that was without question the best singles wrestling match in, in North America for probably twenty years, years. Yeah. and and that's mm-hmm. I mean when you got when you have people like Jim Cornette and Vince Russo and all these other names agreeing on that when, when, mm-hmm. when people like that are, are saying the same thing, it has to be true. But that, mm-hmm. that, that match worked other than just being phenomenal in ring athletic ability, because it told a story, you know, mm-hmm. Brian controlled the match. And then every time Adam page made a comeback, his comeback, just a little bit longer, a little bit better before he got snuffed out again. And he, it was just, it's like you said, it's, it's that story, that narrative. I mean, I would have loved to have seen some of the talent today in the, in the territory days, put somebody like a, put, put somebody like, uh, like Daniel Bryan or excuse me, Brian Danielson or, or someone like Walter, uh, from NXT, throw him back Mm -hmm. into territory days and put him in the ring against, you know, one of the Von Eriks and you would have had a phenomenal stories you could tell. Or you would have had just an absolute fist fight, you know. <laughs> yeah, uh, like, well, one of the two. So, well, you know, the thing about uh, Brian Danielson, who is uh, just an otherworldly talent, right? He came along at the right time. This is a guy who's five foot seven, what, one hundred eighty-five pounds, somewhere around there, right? And the thing is, if he had come along in the nineteen eighties, we're talking, we're looking at him like he's Denny Brown. You know, his his ceiling would have been, hey, the NWA World Junior Heavyweight Championship. Junior no one, heavyweight. Yeah. So he would have never been taken seriously um, because uh, he would have been taken more seriously in the South because we generally had smaller wrestlers anyway. But he would have been like a step of, above a guy like Tony Charles, um, who I don't know if you're familiar with or not, but long time. Uh, tag team partner of Les Thornton, uh, who was a, and, and was also a longtime tag team partner of Adrian street back across the pond. 
is a guy who could just absolutely out-wrestle anybody on the card, but World Junior Heavyweight Championship or a regional junior heavyweight title it was the highest that he was going to go because of his size. You know, so in, in many ways, I love seeing what Brian Danielson brings to the ring with that intensity and that purpose. You know, he, he's not out there just fucking around. Yeah, uh, on the and, flip side of that, though, okay, I'm just, while we're talking, I'm in my mind, I'm thinking of Dusty Rhodes showing up at the Performance Center, looking like Dusty Rhodes looked in 1985, you know, asking for a tryout. And, like, what, what, would, I ha- what would happen to Dusty Rhodes in 2022? Well, you know, here, here's the thing. That's not necessarily a fair comparison because in 85, Dusty had already been wrestling for 20 years. So take it back to the, the maybe to the uh, Outlaws days. Yeah, yeah with, with uh, Dick Murdoch. With, with Murdoch. Have you ever seen a young Dusty Rhodes? Holy shit. The guy as a heel was bumping his ass off, selling. He was in better shape, right? I mean, I'm not going to lie to you and tell you he was in great shape, but Ric Flair wouldn't have gotten much more than than, than a look, and that was pro- would probably be because he had a little bit of a amateur wrestling background, and he had uh, some powerlifting experience. But but he, even Flair, like a, a Dick Murdoch, I mean, the guy. I don't think he ever met a gym that he liked, unless they were giving away free beer. But man, what, maybe what, what, what a hell of a wrestler he was! Oh, he was great. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to get into Dickie's politics or anything like that because uh, we can talk about how abhorrent white supremacy is all day, but. Um, uh, the only thing that kept him from being world champion was him. You know, he was he was so so good, um, and everyone said so. But he didn't have the body. His his gym was gym and tonic. No, that's terrible. That's a joke. <laughs> but, um, so, Jim Beam, Murdoch, with the, yeah, Jim Beam, exactly. So, um hanging brain buster though nobody else was doing that at the time right and to do it safely and to do it every night and to have these guys who were serious professional wrestlers letting him do that move which is hard to do like it is extremely difficult to pull that off safely night in and night out he's doing it you know 300 times a year um that guy had some serious skills uh, a guy like Tully Blanchard would have gotten a look, but he would have also said, "You're too small. You're too lean. We need. We're going to need you to bulk up." You know. Well, you, you have uh, to imagine too. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but you'd have yeah. to imagine too some of these names you're talking about, like you know, picture Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson. Modern wrestling would never have let them team together the way they did with the gimmick just being we're really good wrestlers and that's it. Oh, sure. they, 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 yeah, for every one or two people that doesn't really have a character today, there were mm-hmm. a lot of guys that got away with not being gimmicks over their skill. And I don't think I don't think that would fly today with the bulk of the roster. I mean, look at Dean Malenko, whose gimmick was, you know, that he's just really good. You know, yeah. The 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 Iceman, the man of a thousand holds, this is the guy who's. They took a liability, right, which was his lack of facial expression um, and his his lack of great selling, you know, um, and they made that into into his gimmick, which I thought was brilliant. Um, You have guys like the Revival now who are, you know, I look at the Revival and I think that's the best tag team I have seen modern modern day. Yeah, without Um, question. Yes. You know they are they are tremendous. Um, I'm not not going to touch on on what I think of the young bucks, but uh, <laughs> I I uh, it's just just a subject better left to not talk about. Um, but the revival clearly clearly the best tag team right now in, in the U.S. I think, um, and they are insanely insanely good. And neither one of them has an individual gimmick. And for them to have 
the level of success that they have had so far really talks about their talent level, really goes to their talent level. Absolutely. Well, then let me ask you something. Uh, since we, we kind of expanded, I, we were going to get your thoughts on the current product. That seems to be in and out. Uh, going back, if we can, to the story, the territories. Benny mentioned earlier we had our uh, recent episode where we talked about Florida and the territory wrestling. And, I mean, Benny and I are both huge territory fans. The older wrestling, much more than today, uh, be it Florida, be it Texas. You You talked about the lost territory uh, other than, than what you've mentioned already, do you have a favorite territory that you've studied and written about or, or read about or seen? Um, so I think that there are a couple, um, you know, everybody knows about Jim Crockett promotions and how great it was. Um, but I got to tell you, mid South, man, when that territory was hot, that territory was hot um and they had such clear and i mean mid-south and florida were both neck and neck a lot of times for really sports-based compelling presentation for professional wrestling um because uh bill watts learned at the feet of, of eddie graham right i mean that's where he first became a booker was for eddie graham he and that was what was important for Graham was presenting his product as a legitimate sporting contest where things sometimes got out of hand. And by sometimes, I mean, you know, every card, right? So uh, you can take your pick between Mid-South and uh, pre, pre-UWF. UWF was a wonderful dream uh, that did not last very long, but between from the time that Bill Watts took over uh, Tri-States, made it into Mid-South, uh, Mid-South and Florida in those days were just absolutely pretty much the peak of what you could be doing as a sports-based presentation for wrestling. Bobby, before we get uh, run out of time here, so do tell us about your current project that you're working on. You said something about a snippet oh, yeah. from your book, so we definitely want to hear about that. Okay, absolutely. Well, I want to talk to you guys about Living the Gimmick. Living the Gimmick is a novel of mine that is coming out uh, in May uh, 27th, I believe, if I, have, if I have my wits about me. There's no guarantee, as we've seen already tonight. Uh, Living the Gimmick is a novel based upon uh, the premise of what would happen if a retired professional wrestler who was uh, best friends with a perennial world champion saw the world champion get gunned down in front of him. So this is a a novel that essentially is a crime novel uh, where the world champion figure is murdered and his best friend goes on a Uh, on a quest to find out who did it. And along the way, he figures out that his best friend may not have been who he actually thought he was after all. So it's going to come out in uh, May, 2022. So just a few months from now, and it is uh, coming out from shotgun honey books and will be available on, uh, on Amazon, on Barnes and Noble. Uh, It'll be available in stores. I'm just, I'm super, super excited uh, for this book to be out there, it took me uh, a good while to put together, and it is split essentially between modern wrestling and the uh, 1980s professional wrestling world. So one half, one half of the chapter is in flashback, and the other half of the chapter is in uh, present day. Nice. So... And I, I don't really have anything that's super short from there uh, that I can share. I will tell you that um, I will give you a very quick, very quick snippet uh, from the flashback scene here. And I will not hold forth for very long. Um, <clears throat> August 3rd, 1983, the Houston County Farm Center, Dothan, Alabama. I was glad to see Ray Wilder on the card, if for no other reason 
then I knew the bump from his appearance would put my paycheck over two grand for the week. I was wrestling George Calderon for the Alabama Heavyweight Championship, and we were the semi-main. That meant I had a lot of time to hang out with Ray in the dressing room. That year, he was drinking Jack Daniels with a splash of Coca-Cola. We were talking about my angle with Calderon. We were going around the loop with a gimmick billed as an Indian strap match, and I knew it was going to be physically tough. We'd have to hit each other hard with the leather so the fans could see the stripes on our bodies. I wasn't going to have time. wasn't going to have a hard time working up some anger. He'd gotten into Ron Baskin's ear and told him that I should get some juice for him every night around the loop. I hated blading myself. I always thought it was unnecessary. What we were doing was taxing enough on our bodies. Ray saw it differently. He wanted to know who was going over, meaning who was winning the match. When I told him I was, he grinned and told me there wouldn't be any problem. You give him the juice, he said. Let him open you up early so the sweat mixes with it and the blood looks like it's ten times worse. Let the marks see that you don't like the sight of your own blood. It'll make him happy. I nodded along. I was still mad at Calderon. Politicking the bookers and promoters was never my strong suit. All I wanted to do was wrestle. When you get your heat, you beat the living shit out of him, Ray said. Don't try to work with the strap. Don't hold back. Hit that motherfucker as hard as you can. When you pin him, that's when you whisper in his ear. Yeah, what do I tell him? You say, same thing tomorrow night, George? And that's that's where I'll leave it. I, I absolutely love that. And, I mean, there's there's so much truth in that. because, And that's what always, like, the, the thing that intrigues me about the territory days is, you know, the, the, the camaraderie, you know, the, the, the financial aspect of it. Because I've asked... I've asked a number of people that we've had on, you know, mm-hmm. how did that work? I mean, you, you know, you, you never really knew. I mean, now you get a guaranteed contract. I mean, and, you know, most of us work nine to five jobs and we know how much we're going to get paid every two weeks or every week or twice a month or whatever. But I mean, mm-hmm. as a professional wrestler back in the eighties, working a territory, I, I, because I'm an accountant by trade. So I, I always think numbers mm-hmm. and I'm thinking, how the hell did they plan their lives? Because, you really didn't know from one week to the next how much money you were going to bring home. Sometimes sometimes you would get a promoter, uh, like I, I mentioned him earlier, Austin Idol would get, uh, you know, like a, a guarantee of $1,000 a week. And if if he couldn't draw more people than he's worth, he's out of the territory. Um, and, you know, that's how it, how it worked for some guys was getting that what they call now, you know, a downside guarantee, right? So you, you're going to get at least this much. Um, and I think that Arn Anderson has talked about that going into Jim Crockett was, hey, I'm, I'm not. He had to have a discussion with the booker very early on. You know, I'm not getting what uh, you guys promised me and I'm not getting, uh, you know, the push that you guys promised me and we need to talk about that. And for a kid who was in his early 20s, early to mid-20s at that point, how tough did that conversation have to be for Arn Anderson to have with uh, with management at Crockett Promotions? Absolutely. Well, you know, it's it's crazy to think, too. <clears throat> it came up last week, and, and we've talked about it before, but that was kind of some of the major territories that fell apart. Like the AWA is a great example where it, it came down to – they stopped being able to pay people what they promised them or what they could. Right. And I mean, look at the, uh, the super clash event they did Lawler and, and Von Eric uniting the, the heavyweight titles and mm-hmm. Vern Gagne didn't pay Lawler for that event. And he skipped town with both belts. Like, you know, you had, you had these, these Benny, I know being the accountant, it, it's crazy to think that, yeah, you had guys that, you didn't know how much you were going to make week to week. And unfortunately with the reputation, some of these promoters had, even if you did draw, you weren't guaranteed. You weren't hundred percent sure you were going to get all that money anyway. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you had, you had sometimes promoters would do, it would stiff you on the count too. You know, you would count, Hey, uh, every other click, right. You, you've seen these little clickers, right. For people to count. Oh yeah. Uh huh. To count, uh, people coming in the door. Well, don't you you click every every other guy, and then hey, there's your count for how many people came in, and you re- you reconcile that with the money in the door, and oh hey, you have a nice little bonus for yourself. And that's yeah, one of the I mean, ways. 
Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Ways, Ron, um, just one of the ways that Ron Fuller got caught uh, doing that in Tennessee, and it's what led to the Wrestlers Rebellion uh, story that I did, and that was the plan. You know, ended up with the Plan B video with uh, Bob Roop and uh, the Great Malenko and guys like that. Well, I know we've had a couple of guests in the past have told stories where uh, about some of the promoters that have tried something like that. It's all right. We booked uh, 750 tonight. Or we, we had a thousand people here. Here's what your pay is. And it's like, wait a minute, time out. We've, I've been in this building 50 times and I know it seats 2000 and it was full. Like, who are you trying mm. to fool here? Right. Um, look, sometimes, yeah, I mean, promoters just are not always on the up and up. Yeah. That's unfortunately having friends in the business today with the Indies. That's not something that sadly hasn't changed. Yeah, some. I mean, I know I, I have a friend who I don't have permission to share his his story by name, but he has he has driven 400 miles for uh, a promised $300 payoff and got to the building, worked, and you know, got listen. We got stiffed on the on the the, the crowd, guys. We you know, I don't have enough money to pay you. I'm sorry. Here's handshake and a hot dog. We'll catch you next time. Yep, I got into wrestling podcasting, taking over for a friend of mine after he passed away. And he used to tell, he loved to tell the story. One of the first long road trips he took, uh, the, the he and the gentleman who was the promoter here in Virginia, they they traveled and ended up getting, and he, cause he, my friend was a referee. And instead of money, he got an envelope full of Subway coupons. You know, the, the, oh the, the dollar, the good is cash, like subway points or whatever, oh you know, Hey, I mean, I told you I'd give you a hundred bucks. I didn't say, I didn't promise you it'd be a hundred dollars in cash. You know, I mean, if it was firehouse, then maybe we're talking, but geez, subway, like, <laughs> right. right. Give me, give me uh, I mean, hell, you know what? I hate to say it, but I can think of a few, I've had heard a few road stories where getting paid in food probably be the first time that week they'd eaten well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, the Steve Austin does the story, you know, where he's eating raw potatoes because in when he's in Memphis, because that was uh, for USWA, because that's all he could uh, all he could afford. Yep. You know, and then of Why? course, anybody anybody on the road, you know, you live off of off of uh, gas station hot dogs. Mm-hmm. Which is super healthy, completely healthy. <laughs> You can get of, all of the nitrates you will need forever in your life, just in one week. Of course. Well, as we wrap up here, Bobby, do you have any uh, closing thoughts, any plans for the future? I know you, you talked about your new book coming out. Do you have any, any articles we should keep an eye on, anything like that? You know, I keep telling JP that I'm going to write something uh, for him, and I I don't know when that that's going to be, but Pro Wrestling Stories has always been my home. Uh, JP has really just kind of given me the run of the place. He's pulled me in to help edit other people's stuff. Um, he has, you know, been just an absolute great gent to work for. Um, and I love him like the little brother I never wanted. Um, <laughs> he's, he is in my estimation, just one of the stand up guys, uh, doing, doing, uh, stuff, tangentially related to the wrestling business. Um, so I want to shout out to him. Uh, and eventually I will have something else up there because I've got to get at least 10 more, 10 more stories because then I'll have uh, 69 on there and I can just walk around going nice every time. <laughs> exactly. I see it. So, nice. So anyway, um, guys, thanks so much for having me on. I hope I wasn't too boring. I hope I didn't go off on too oh, many. Gosh, no. No, no, it was great, great. great stories. We always love hearing from, uh, hearing from you guys it's it's great especially some of the stuff you know being the writer and doing the research you've done you were able to tell stories we can't hear anywhere else uh, i'm glad to hear that and listen i i want to uh make sure that that uh you guys get a copy of the book so message me on facebook and and send me an address or uh or an email where i can send you guys a copy of the book when it comes out definitely would so. love that awesome you right. sign it for us too uh well not the e-copy but we'll oh see. well that's yeah that's fair <laughs> we'll we'll just we'll just have what are those things that are big now uh 
NFTs or whatever, we'll have to turn it. We'll we'll turn it into one of those. That, that you know that, we can we, that can be our yeah. side hustle, Benny. We can sell Dan and Benny crypto. Okay, you'll have to manage it, that because I have no idea what the hell you're talking about. Benny Benny coin. It'll be the new big thing. But again, Bobby, I, I appreciate all your time. Uh, we'll keep keep an eye out. Bobby Matthews, Pro Wrestling Stories, uh, anywhere you can read uh, all of your stuff. It's just it's phenomenal articles, great stuff. I really, personally, I recommend for those of you out there, the article you wrote on Bobby Eaton. Yes. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That and uh, Matt Bourne as well. Yeah, Matt Bourne was another good one. Good, good call, Benny. Hey, can I give you guys real quick, and I'm sorry to do this. I know we're over time. I want to give you, I don't know, I don't remember off the top of my head if this story made it into the Bobby Eaton story or not. Go for so, it. Uh, okay, so I had a, a chance when I was very young to wrestle Bobby Eaton at a show in his hometown. Nice. Just a, just outlaw mud show, right? Now, obviously, it's his hometown, and he's a, a star, and I am not, right? But Bobby had the absolute, like just the mumble mouth on the man and God bless him. He was such a nice and kind. You could not understand him. And I got in the ring with him and he was so good and it was, and it looked so amazing. And I'm like, just kind of stunned, like, wow, somebody can be this good. And I, we did a, we did a drop down float over, right. Where he's, you know, running the ropes. Calls a spot as he leaps over me and I go, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Like just brought the, brought the proceedings to a screeching halt. Right. So, I mean, (laughs) he grabs me in a headlock and tells me what the spot is. It's essentially just a shoulder tackle, hop up, get it again. All right. So I get tackled and I sell it and I pop up and he gets me again and he, hops over me and again calls something and so he just grabs me on his way by and hip tosses me like I realized what he's doing at the very end and it was able to to go with him but uh, there for a second I was just you know like this match is turning into a shoot because I have no idea where we're going (laughs) (laughs) so but he was such a gentleman he was such a gentleman and a gentle man. Um, when he hit me, I had never, uh, never been touched that lightly before in my life. I mean, he was, he, he may have grazed me one time. It was, it was phenomenal. He was the best. You know, everybody has their moments. You mentioned the uh, unfortunate, the Murdoch and his unfortunate extracurricular activities Bobby Eaton mm-hmm. is in the years I've been doing wrestling and, and research and articles and, and hosting and all this. He's the only person I can think of. I've never heard a bad word spoken about from anybody anywhere, period. No, he's tremendous. And, and honestly, the world, the wrestling world is, is, uh, is a less bright place because he's not here. He's, he was absolutely a fantastic gem. 100%. Without question. Well, um, I can't think of ending on a better note than that, Bobby. And like you said, if you're going to lose lose your way in the ring, he's the one you want to be in there with. He'll take care of you. Absolutely. Guys, thanks so much again for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for being Pleasure. here. Bobby Matthews, Pro Wrestling Stories. And like I said, anywhere uh, anywhere can be read. And I absolutely recommend, uh, Benny, we, between us, uh, your articles on Bobby Eaton and Matt Bourne, among your many others, 59 articles to read through, plenty there. So Bobby Matthews, Pro Wrestling Stories, thank you again so much for your time. Thanks a lot. See you guys later. Take care, Take care. Man, I'll tell you what, Benny, that's uh, – I, I we love uh, we love the unique stories you can't get anywhere else, and Bobby definitely had some. And coming from somebody with a wrestling background into journalism and serious, like you know, not just wrestling, but the the all the other sports he's covered, he's seen it from so many different angles. Great conversation. Just amazing that you know he became he was a wrestling fan, and then he was a wrestler, and now he he writes about wrestling. I mean, he's he's covered all the bases. Pretty much, he he's lived the dream, as they say. But he, yeah, he, he can talk about it from a, a perspective that a lot of the writers can't. 
Yeah, well, and that's the thing is you get, you know, uh, I mean, I've been I've been backstage more times than I can count, but I've never been in the, in the ring uh, running the ropes or anything like that. So, you know, even even as knowledgeable as I like to think that I am, I, I don't have that 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 life. Yeah, you can always tell who's talking about things from from that angle and that story. And it's just it provides that little extra oomph of insight, you know, kind of like I think some of the best. Uh, we we talked uh, we, when we had uh, Javier on about John Madden. You know, so the best sports commentators outside of Howard Cosell, he's the exception. It are the the former players, the former coaches, you know, the former the fighters, the the ones who were there. They're the ones you want to listen to talking about the game today. Absolutely, yeah, and I really I am really looking forward to that book when it comes out. Oh yeah, no, absolutely, and I'm I'm. Glad we'll we'll get to read it because it's it's going to be so. And I like the way he said how it bounces back and forth. I love that narrative of the present and past at the same time. And it sounded so real. I mean, yeah. I mean, the names were made up, but I mean, everything he spoke about, you could just plug in a Wahoo McDaniel and a Ronnie Garvin, and it would make perfect sense. Yeah, I mean, exactly. That could have been he could have been reading from someone's journal that he they turned over to him to write an article on. Absolutely. Any closing thoughts for the night, Benny? No, I just, you know, that was a great conversation. And it, it the stories, they're, they're always different. Like I said, a snowflake. I mean, his, his story about how he got into liking wrestling and, and, you know, how he got into writing and he was a wrestler. And just, uh, it's one of those things. It, it, it's always different, unique, and it's always, it's always amazing. Absolutely. And that's why we do what we do. We love to do it. And uh, we'll, we'll keep going. Speaking of conversations, I noticed the uh, the Dan and Benny page has been hopping recently. We just uh, put a sh- uh, our friend Javier put a shout out to the AWA podcast we pitched the uh, last week. So we continue to grow, continue to, to to have fun and do what we do, and and many more weeks to come. Right, Benny? Absolutely. Looking forward right, to so, the hundredth episode. One of these absolutely. Days. I mean, we're we're at fifty four, so we'll get there before the end we'll of the year. There. Not not bad for. Uh, like we said with day one, I said the average sports and entertainment podcast last three episodes. Here we are at 54, still going strong. Still going strong. Still going strong. So for the BS Express himself, Benny Scala, I'm Dan Sebastiano. Have a good night, everyone, and we will see you next time we're in the ring. Stay safe, folks. <laughs>